it is a joy to be together this morning, isn't it, to honor the God of heaven and fellowship one another in our holy faith, encourage one another uh, to go to that place that's called heaven. Thank you for being here to participate in these things with us this morning, especially as has been said, if you're visiting, if you're visiting with us. This year at Eastside, we're seeking to excel. And this morning, we're going to talk about praying to excel, which sort of mingles our last year's theme with this year's theme. I told somebody I probably should have preached this closer to the first of this year uh, to sort of mesh these ideas together. But I hope, that, I hope that we'll find something in this lesson this morning that will be really powerful for us going forward as we strive to excel in our service to God. Have you ever prayed that the Lord would help you become better at something? Have you ever prayed that maybe he would help you be better at a sport? I think I may have done that a time or two when I was young, uh, you know, prayed to be a better basketball player or something like that. Uh, I wanted to excel, and not necessarily for, you know, very good reasons, uh, but nonetheless, I probably prayed that prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer that God would help you be better at your career or excel at your career? Or get some award or some bonus related to your career. Maybe you prayed to be a better student. I know a lot of students that when it comes final exam time, especially if they haven't studied, there's a lot of prayers that go up around that time. Well, we pray to excel or to achieve in a lot of different areas. I say we do. I don't know how much of that we do, but I think all of us have probably done it from time to time. And I wonder about our motivations. What motive do we have for doing that? Well, if, if we'd examine it, probably a lot of the time it's, it's not a very good motive. Maybe we just want personal glory or personal wealth or to gratify ourselves with a sense of accomplishment. I don't know that any of those things is really a great reason to pray for excellence. We just sang a song that reflects what our aim spiritually is, what our goal spiritually is. And it relates very much to our theme for this year. This year, our prayer, our aim is higher ground. In the words that we just sang in that song, three times, in the verses, three of the four verses, specifically mention praying relative to becoming better and being higher and excelling. So in verse 1, we sang, Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And in verse 2, we sang, My prayer, my aim is higher ground. And in verse 4 we sang, but still I pray, I'll pray till heaven I've found, Lord, lead me on to higher ground. And in all of those phrases, aren't we saying that we're praying to achieve higher heights, to reach a greater level of service to our God, a nearness to the God of heaven, and more excellent service as we go along the way. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed a prayer, and I think in a way that you could say he was praying for excellence, he was certainly praying for glory. In John 17, you remember the night that he was betrayed, Jesus spoke these words in verse 1, 
He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may also glorify you. And what he's talking about is he's asking God to be with him that he could go through this difficult time he's about to face, his crucifixion, but also looking toward his resurrection, his ascension, where he would truly be glorified. All of that according to the purpose of God. So Christ is praying that that will all happen and that he will achieve all of these things in an excellent way, not just for his glory, yes, for his glory, but not just for his glory, but even more for the glory of his Father. When we pray to excel, when we pray to do it better, to grow, it's not about us, not really. It's about glorifying Him. And we've already talked about that some this year, that excelling is not excelling just because we want to be better than somebody or good at something. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being the best that we can be in our service to God because He deserves it. And frankly, He deserves nothing less than that. And so, yes, our prayer, our aim should be higher ground, a higher level of service. Not just that we might be glorified, but that He might be glorified. And so I say to you this morning that prayer is a key component in building toward excellence. In fact, in Jude verses 20 and 21, that's really said. Jude says, You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You see that phraseology there. He says, building yourselves up, that's getting stronger, elevating, getting higher, doing better in our faith, while, the indication is, praying in the Holy Spirit. Our prayers are aimed at that. And the Holy Spirit will intercede for us in those prayers and help us achieve that. It sort of reminds me of the days of Nehemiah and the people as they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. You'll remember uh, the story. We go back to the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the children of Israel have already been allowed to go back to the promised land after 70 years of captivity. And uh, a group has already been sent back to rebuild the temple. But many people still remain in the land of captivity. And one of those is Nehemiah. He's the cup bearer of King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, still back in the land of the captivity. And while in that place and in that role, Nehemiah gets word from the people in Jerusalem that uh, things are not going that well. In verse 2, Hanani, one of my brethren, came with the men from Judah, and asked them, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors are left, that are left, who are left from the captivity in the province, are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. The situation was not just not excellent, it was awful. So here you are, Nehemiah, a loyal, faithful Jew, observant of the religion of Israel, trying to honor the God of heaven in your day-to-day life, 
loving God's people because they're God's chosen people, and you hear that things are really just awful for them back in the homeland, that the gates are still fallen down and broken and burned, everything's lying in disrepair and rubble. This is horrifying to Nehemiah. Horrifying because it's, it says that the welfare of God's people is, is certainly a concern. But that this city, the holy city, which, because it is the holy city of the people of God, should be a great place. It should be a secure place. It should be a place where they could go to the temple and honor God. And yet, it was anything but that. So not, Nehemiah becomes very concerned and he begins to pray. And as a consequence of his prayer, King Artaxerxes sends him back to Jerusalem, as you know, to build the wall. And he gets back there and there's all sorts of opposition from the people of the land. They don't want the Jews coming back there and excelling and establishing uh, God's people with a great foothold in the land. So you come to Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 9. And despite the um, people of the land not being uh, cooperative and being against them, he says, nevertheless, we made, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Nehemiah and the people excelled at building the wall. And they're going to excel at building the wall because they prayed, in part. In chapter 6 and verse 15, the text tells us there that the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. Now you want to talk about construction excellence. You want to talk about doing something in a great and amazing way. Here the wall of Jerusalem, a pretty good sized ancient city, the entire wall of Jerusalem was completely rebuilt in 52 days. Now I know we can throw up dollar generals overnight. But I'm telling you, to rebuild a wall around a city, even in our day and time, with all of our modern equipment, with, with all of our engineering skills, with, with, every, with all of the resources that we have, to rebuild a wall around Jerusalem today in 52 days would not happen. It wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. It would, it would take just months, if not years. And these people did it you talk about excellence in 52 days. You think prayer had anything to do with that? In verse 16, it happened when all our enemies heard of it. <laughs> you can imagine all the, all the enemies in the, around, you know, hearing of, wow, look at what the people of God have done here. It happened when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. It's an answer to prayer. It was an answer to the dedication, determination of Nehemiah and those people who set their shoulders to the work. And who were not going to be satisfied any longer with mediocrity with the state of walls being broken down and things being in disrepair and things not being what they should be for the people of God to honor God. They weren't going to stand for it. And they didn't. 
and they made it better. It took dedication on their part. It took hard work on their part. They had to stand against their enemies. But all of it was empowered by prayer. And I'm telling you that as we build toward excellence at Eastside individually and collectively, it needs to be powered by prayer. If there's something that needs fixing in our lives, if there's something that needs fixing at East Side as a congregation, if there's something we could do better, something that we could, we're just mediocre, mediocre at, but we could excel at it, we can do it. Let's start it with prayer. Let's pray as we go. And it can happen. We should pray to excel as communicators of the Word. When I think about the apostles, you're talking about men who were both inspired and empowered by God. Here on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit had come upon these men and they could speak in tongues, they could do other miracles as well. And as Jesus had promised, they were given the very words to speak in times like the day of Pentecost when they stood before kings as they were talking to people about, about the gospel. And yet, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. Uh, Peter, having healed the uh, lame man on Solomon's porch, causing quite a stir. And they're arrested, and threatened, and harmed, and then released. And they come and they assemble with the saints at the end of Acts chapter 4. And in verse 29, they pray a prayer. I'd like you in this context then to, to think about the import of this prayer. Prayed by apostles of Jesus Christ. Now Lord, look on their threats, talking about the threats of the Jewish leaders, and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Here were people who were inspired of God. They had the words. It wasn't a matter of what words we're going to speak here. They had God's supernatural power. They could perform miracles, had performed miracles, would continue to do that, amazing miracles, raising people from the dead, all sorts of different things. And yet they're praying for boldness to speak the word. Now, we study and study and study and try to understand God's Word. We're not inspired. We're reading those who were inspired. We're not supernaturally empowered. We trust those who were supernaturally empowered. Don't you think it would be a good thing for us to pray, to be bold in speaking the Word? If the apostles needed to, I know I need to pray. If we took a survey this morning and I just go around and ask for the raising of hands or whatever, I'm not going to do that, but suppose we did a survey of the whole congregation today and a question would be, uh, are, you, are you satisfied with your level of, of boldness and um, your 
ability to share God's word day by day. Would you say that you are excelling at sharing God's word? I don't think we'd have any hands go up. Might surprise me, but I don't think so. What does that say? We need to get better. We got to get better. Let's pray about it. Let's pray for boldness. That's what the apostles did here. And when they had prayed, in verse 31, of course, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. You see the same thing with the apostle Paul. This is a repeated prayer request of his. Again, an inspired a supernaturally endowed apostle yet in Ephesians chapter 6 where he tells the Ephesians to make prayers to pray for all the saints and he says and for me in verse 19 that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel he'd been revealed the mystery of the gospel that had been given to him Ephesians 3 he'd said the Holy Spirit gave that to him but he wants boldness he wants prayers for boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador of change that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul felt the need, perhaps the greatest preacher other than Jesus Christ who has ever lived, Paul felt the need for more prayer that he might excel in sharing God's word. You and I should feel that need as well, acutely. And God will help us, as he helped Paul so long ago. But in order for us, in order for us to have that ability and to get better at it, again, we don't have the apostolic advantages, we have to develop skill in the word of righteousness. This is something we have to work on. If we're going to excel at sharing the Word, we need to excel at learning the Word and applying the Word. Look at what the Hebrew writer says in the familiar text in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. When he chastises these Hebrew Christians and he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. Here are people who should have been teaching, who should have been excelling at teaching, and yet they still needed somebody to go back and tell them the first stuff. The fundamental things. He says, everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. What was their problem? They were unskilled in the word. They didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know how to use it because they hadn't practiced handling it and using it. In verse 14, solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You want to be a teacher of the Word? You want to be able to share the Word effectively and excellently? You need to be able to use the Word. And that comes by practicing using the Word. You go to it, learn it, apply it daily in your life. We will never excel at sharing the Word with others until we excel at putting it into practice in our lives. 
learning it, and doing it. As we think about praying to excel, I want to spend a few minutes talking about how our prayers can be made by, in and of themselves to be more excellent, more powerful. Coupling prayer with fasting, I believe, would have a synergistic effect. That's a big word, but it just means, you know, when you have two different components and you put them together, the power of them together is more than either one by itself. That's synergy. Put two things together and the strength of those things together is stronger than either one by itself. And, and prayer and fasting throughout the scriptures really is, is that way, which is to say that fasting helps us to excel in prayer. I'm sharing this in part because I was part of a discussion here Thursday morning between a number of preachers. We talked about this aspect of fasting. And uh, several of them recounted personal, a couple at least, recounted some personal experiences. And one of them said this. He said, in essence, he had not been somebody who practiced fasting often. Probably most of us don't practice fasting very often. But But he said he was convicted that he should begin a regular fasting. And so for years, this is 2007 is when he made, a, made this decision. He said for years, from on, starting Sunday night and through Monday day, he would fast every week. He did that for years. Now he's diabetic and he can't do it. But here's the observation he made. He said, if prayer were conceived as a tricycle, praying and fasting is like a jet airplane. Now, personally, I don't like comparing prayer to a tricycle because it's way better than that. But you get the point. You put it together with... So what are we talking about when we talk about fasting? What we're talking about is focusing on something spiritual... And, and doing without food as a way of helping us focus on something spiritual. And it may not have to be for a long time. This man was talking about doing that for a day. It just could be part of a day even, skipping a meal or whatever. But to do it, not because you're trying to lose weight. You know, people do this intermittent fasting nowadays to try to lose weight or whatever. There's something to that. But that's not the kind of fasting we're talking about. We're talking about fasting for a spiritual reason. And especially now, we're talking about it to couple with your prayer to focus on that prayer. And what it is that you're praying for. And, and this is, as I said, extraordinarily biblical. It's found in both Old Testament and New Testament. That God's people did this for a purpose. There's a reason for it. To be in Scripture. Let's think about a few instances of this. Just to think about how it might help us. I'm not laying down a law here for everybody. I'm, I'm talking about the fact that fasting is something that's scriptural that we can do and it will help us to excel in prayer, which will help us to excel, period. That's where we're going. So here we go. Fasting helps us excel in prayer as we try to rid Satan from the lives of our loved ones. In Matthew 17, you have this example where Jesus heals an epileptic, epileptic demon-possessed boy. And the thing about it was, the father of the boy said, I, I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. 
Well, Jesus, of course, has no problem healing this boy of this demon possession. Later on in the context in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples, the apostles, asked Jesus, well, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And here's what Jesus says. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, I don't believe demon possession occurs anymore. I don't believe it because the scriptures say it wouldn't. There's a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 that really plainly says that when the fountain for forgiveness in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was opened up, that both the prophet and the unclean spirit would pass out of the land. Zechariah 13, 1, In that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David, for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and uncleanness. And it shall be also in that day, the next verse, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. They will no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. So yes, there was demon possession in the first century, and you don't read about it after that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we learn that prophecies and miracles would cease, and they did. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, there fail. Whether there are tongues, they shall cease. Whether there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, that when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. So the partial there, the part things that we're talking about, are things like prophecy and tongues and miraculous knowledge. And Paul says, those are partial things. When that which is complete has come, those partial things will be done away. Let me ask you something. You ever scrolling on your phone? Maybe you're looking at Facebook or social media or just, you know, trying to... Uh, see what's going on, and there's this advertisement that comes up, and it's a movie trailer. And maybe it's even a movie, uh, some, something that you're interested in. Maybe it's a Star Wars movie trailer or, or whatever. Something's coming up. Maybe you're not interested in that. But it's a movie trailer. And, and maybe because you're interested in it, you, you look at it, you watch the trailer. Wow, this new movie's coming out. And that you keep on, you know, this trailer pops up on your on your news feed every once in a while saying, wow, this, I can't wait for this movie to come out. And then the movie comes out. And then maybe it's streamed on TV or it's at the theaters. Or, and before you know it, you know, you can buy a copy of it yourself to, to watch on your phone the whole movie. Right? Let me ask you this. Do you still watch the trailer all the time? Well, why would you? You got the whole movie now. Prophecy, tongue speaking, that was just the trailer. <laughs> we got the whole movie. We don't need the trailer. Why would you watch the trailer? We got the whole movie. Now the point here is this, getting back to the point. Demons may have passed out of the land, no longer possess people. The miraculous ability to cast out demons, therefore, is not necessary either. So, going back to Matthew 17, we don't have people that are demon-possessed, but we do have people 
that are possessed by Satan. Satan gets a hold of them, takes them down spiritually, ruins their lives, destroys them in the spirit. And what are you going to do about that person? Well, if you're me, if you're you, you're going to pray for them. You're going to pray fervently for them or just kind of mention them once in a while? Fervently. You think if this demon in Matthew 7, if Satan wasn't going to let that demon out of that person except by fasting and prayer, you think he's going to let your loved one go except by fasting and prayer? Just a thought. What about our evangelistic efforts? The church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, sent out Paul and Barnabas to evangelize. And of course, the work that Paul and Barnabas did in evangelizing the Greco-Roman world is just astounding. But in Acts 13, when they were first sent out, you know what happened. The people who were sending them out, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them away. When we're sending out preachers to do the work of evangelism in difficult place, facing unknown challenges, uh, where the gospel needs to go and perhaps has gone, but they'll face uh, problems along the way. Should we just say, okay, y'all have a nice trip. (laughs) Or might it be good to uh, pray and fast that the work be successful? Just a thought. What about when we're appointing elders? The uh, Bible says in Acts 14 that Paul and Barnabas on that very trip, they established a number of churches. And it says in Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The, the impact that a good eldership has on a flock of God's people is inestimable and much needed in the world in which we live in today. We are so thankful for our elders here. I hope you're praying for them regularly. And I I hope that the next time that we appoint elders and or deacons here that we'll not only pray for them, but some of us will choose to fast for them and pray. Their work is just that important. Later on, Paul talking to some elders, probably that he had had a, hand in, had a hand in appointing, tells them in Acts 20 and verse 28, to take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You don't think shepherding the church of God which Jesus has purchased, you, you don't think that's a, a pretty important task to set a man at or men over? He says at the end of this, after warning them about uh, false teachings that will arise and problems that they'll face, he says in verse 32, 
Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. I'm commending you to God. Turning you over to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Yes, we need to pray for our elders and it wouldn't hurt as we pray once in a while to fast for them too, especially when they're going through difficult decisions, which happens quite a bit, or the church is in crisis in some way or another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talking to married couples about the need to continue their physical relationship and satisfy one another's needs in that relationship. He says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, Do not deprive one another except for consent, by consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. So you continue this physical relationship. It's much needed. Uh, it helps you avoid fornication. It solidifies a marriage relationship. All sorts of good things. You continue that except, except, unless by consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Now, the text does not tell us what it is that they're fasting and praying about. I think I have a good idea, but I don't know. If you're a husband and a wife, and do you find it important to dedicate yourselves to fasting and prayer for a short time? What do you think they're fasting and praying about, husband and wife? their marriage relationship, their children, the well-being of their family. Those would be things we pray about, right, as parents and as husbands and wives. You think it might be good to dedicate some time to fasting and prayer for those things? Short period of time. So here's the thing. If prayer can do a lot for a marriage and for children, fasting and prayer can do even more. And when you think about the importance of the physical relationship in a marriage, which Paul is talking about there in 1 Corinthians 7, and yet to say that fasting and prayer is of such importance that the other can be suspended for a time so that we can dedicate ourselves to fasting and prayer. That's pretty important. And then there's this. We talked about this in the marriage class just last week. There is no human relationship that prayer cannot improve. There is no human relationship that prayer cannot improve. And so if you are husband, wife, child, parent, Employer, employee, teacher, student, ball team, friend. There is no human relationship that prayer cannot improve. And that is why Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 doesn't just instruct us to pray for some people. He says that supplications, prayers, intercessions... And giving of thanks should be made for all people. All. I read a column this last week by a guy, Sean Dietrich, Sean of the South, you may know him. 
Um, and in it, he was talking about praying for everybody. Now, I don't know all of Sean's religious beliefs. I, I, I think he's probably mixed up on a few things, but he probably thinks I am too. But nonetheless, he said something that really impressed me. He said in writing this column, he said, I want you to know I'm praying for you. You. Because I pray for everybody. Isn't that how Christians are to be? And getting back to excelling, if we really want to excel at all that God wants us to do in our relationships with each other, in our service to Him, in our relationship with the world, who are we praying for when we pray to excel? We're praying for everybody. And once in a while, it might be good to fast along with that. Excellence. Excellence is our goal in every sphere of our spiritual lives. The instructions of Scripture are that we should be seeking to excel. It's not excellence for excellence's sake. It's not trying to be the best to win a contest or to feel superior or to stoke our ego. It's excellence for the glory of God. And the Lord can elevate us. Lord, I pray, till heaven I found, plant my feet on higher ground. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills. He will elevate us when we trust Him to do so in prayer. Where are you this morning spiritually? Where are you this morning spiritually? What level are you at? Are you pressing for higher ground every day in your spiritual life, in your service to God, in your service to others? This is the challenge before us this year. We are not going to settle for mediocrity in serving our God. We are not going to settle for mediocre relationships, for average, as we strive to glorify the God who is Lord of all. I challenge you this morning, I challenge myself to be better, to be better. To strive to be what God created us to be after the image of His only begotten Son. So maybe someone here this morning is subject to the invitation of Jesus Christ. You know you're not what you ought to be, and severely so, perhaps. You can make it right, and the Lord can lift you up even today. If there's sin in your life that needs correcting, if you've never named the name of Jesus, why not now? Please come while we stand and while we sing.